Hey everybody, welcome back to Blister Cinematic on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today we are talking with one of our favorite skiers, Marcus Caston, and one of our favorite photographers and creatives, Cam McLeod, about their beautiful short film, Apollo. And I do recommend that you watch this five-minute film before listening to this podcast conversation. So we will include a link in the show notes of this episode for you to do just that. Apollo is, in my opinion, best watched in the dark, preferably late at night or very early in the morning, and probably alone. It is a short film, but it packs quite a punch, and it sets a very strong tone and mood right away. This is a film to savor. It's a film that I think you're going to want to share with your friends and the people you grew up skiing and riding with, and it is a film that I think you're going to want to revisit for years to come. And so now, let's discuss it. I really enjoyed diving deep into this film and its backstory with Marcus and Cam, and I think you are going to really enjoy this one too. And so, here we go. Well, I'm very happy to be joined by Marcus and Cam. Marcus, let's start with you. How are you today, and where are you today? Yeah, thanks. I'm great. I'm in Engelberg, Switzerland, sunny Engelberg, Switzerland. Feels a lot like spring today. Went on a little hike with the dog, you know, t-shirt weather on the uh, south side. So life's good. This has been a thing of yours. You've been spending some decent amount of recurring time around Engelberg, no? Yeah, yeah. We moved here um, a little over a year ago. So I've been here full time for just over a year. Um, Full time. Yeah. And before that, I, I started coming maybe 10 years ago or so and came for two weeks and then a month, a month and a half, you know, and then came in the summer and was like, shit, this place is sweet. Just probably just stay. And that's the current program, huh? Yep. Yep. That's it. So okay. life's good. Well, I've, I've never been. That definitely is a place that needs to go on the bucket list. So there might be a knock at your door one day. Oh, dude, please. You're always welcome. Appreciate it. Cam, where are you joining us from today? Um, I'm at my studio in Ogden, Utah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Keeping keeping it local. Keeping it local. Yep. Well, we are here to talk about this beautiful short film of yours, Apollo. Talk a little bit about just the idea to shoot a film like this. Marcus, did you hit up Cam? Cam, did you hit up Marcus? Is this the kind of thing that you've been thinking about for some time? It's in some ways an extremely straightforward and simple film, and yet it does feel like there's layers to this, and I wanted to ask you about the origin story. It was an idea that I brought to Marcus, so that's kind of where it started. My wife and I moved into a new home in... 20 fall of 2019 um which is in the eden valley um and the eden valley is sort of the kind of the main you know uphanging valley above ogden which is like the central valley to powder mountain snow basin and then this tiny mom and pop ski resort called nordic valley and the house we moved into um, is a kind of a modified A-frame that shares a, a property line with Nordic Valley. And I had never skied Nordic Valley in the, I don't know, 12 years that we had lived here. Never even considered it. Um, it was just like this little local place that was small. And I was like, why would anybody ski there? So to my own detriment, never had spent time there until we moved in. And then um, when we moved there kind of became more obviously aware of this little place and the gem that it is. And they have night skiing. And so we bought season passes, which cost us maybe like $300 or something. I mean, it was, 
It's an extremely cheap and affordable place to ski. It's one of those um, small mountains um, in the West that continues to offer affordable skiing and support things like local ski race development and provide a place that is really uh, absent of a scene other than the natural scene that is created by like working class people that come there to ski affordably with their families. So we started skiing there more often and um, it really reminded me of, of growing up and skiing in the Midwest. And the fact that they had night skiing was also very reminiscent of uh, my growing up in Michigan and skiing back at home with the exception that occasionally it got really good snow. And so there's this old two-person fixed grip chairlift that was very nostalgic. Night skiing was nostalgic. And so the lighting there is absolutely terrible. Um, it's like a patchwork of lighting and, and it's hard to see, but it creates this like patchwork of lighting that is naturally cinematic. And so all of these elements just like brought me back to a time of skiing that was so familiar to me and just naturally beautiful that I was like, this is, there's a film here that I wanted to, to create. So I kind of approached Marcus and said, Hey, what do you think? And, and Marcus, when he, when he first brought up the idea, did he say a bunch of the stuff that he just said here, or was it a bit of a different, what was the pitch to you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was similar. I have known about Nordic Valley. Um, I had never really skied there for COVID and then COVID happened and, uh, my w girlfriend at the time, now my wife, we moved up to, uh, Cam and Kelly's little A-frame, um, house. So we were like a little pod. So we were like ski touring up and down Nordic and that's kind of where I fell in love with it or whatever. But I mean, the pitch to me was really, uh, based pretty heavy on the, the shitty lighting. You know, and just kind of the in and out of the lights. And he's like, no, you got like, it's not just like lit up, you know, it's like really poorly lit up and you go in and out of these lights and it's, you know, it's super cool. And when it's snowing, it's just like, yeah, it's really cool. So, you know, I don't know. Cam's an artist and everything he does, I, I really like. And, um, you know, I, yeah. So I was psyched. I have to say from, from my vantage point, um, to have this kind of owed the the mom and pop ski area cam that you've already talked about and described so well i'm sure there are other people in the kind of professional skier world where i could think that person he or she would be a good fit for a project like this but i wouldn't associate anyone more than marcus for a job like this, given just some of the other projects that you've done, right? And your, you know, Return of the Turn series, Marcus, where it kind of has been showing off not the sickest, biggest lines in some remote part of the world, but like, let's go have a good time ripping up some smaller areas. Um, so that all felt really, really fitting to me. And um, Cam, I don't know if you, you know, Sounds like Marcus was in proximity, but I don't know if as you started thinking about this, if you thought, you know, Marcus is actually perfect for this project. Yeah, I guess absolutely. But at the same time, like there are, I kind of have a very small network of, of skiers that I work with. And Marcus has been one of the main people that I've worked with. And we have a great, not only working relationship, but friendship and we connect on a lot of similar themes, I think, around skiing and, and what skiing is. And so, um, yeah, there was some proximity built into that, but there was also just, a, I think, a natural connection. I mean, he was the only person I mentioned it to. And um, so, yeah, it, it he is a perfect conduit for this story, I think, for sure. So, let's talk about the skiing itself and filming it. So. We, you already said, I mean, you're right. Like, I obviously just watching it, the lighting is really beautiful and interesting. I hadn't thought about the actual having to ski in that light. Marcus, was that actually tricky or just different? It's a little tricky. Really, the, I mean, the hardest part was it's not the steepest mountain 
in the world. So to like, you know, you set up a shot, you know, and, and normally when it's steep, you can kind of start a little bit closer to the person. Right. So like we shot at night, it's snowing. Uh, it's a little flatter. So you got to start a little further up the hill. So just like finding your spot where you're going to hit was super hard for me. And I, I think I really did do the best job of like hitting my spots this whole trip. But no, I mean, as seeing is at night is fine. I don't know. I got some clear lenses. It's uh, still have them, wear them all the time now. Love them. I can't tell you how heartening it is to hear you talk about how hard it is to hit certain spots. Like one of the people that I think is sort of one of the most technically proficient skiers kind of in the, you know, free ride game. Because I know like if we're doing photo shoots, let alone video, you know, and we're constantly like, oh, I definitely wasn't supposed to go exactly where I just went. So thank you for that, Marcus. It's, it's, it's certainly its own like stupid little skill. Um, yeah, I wish <laughs> I wish it related to like other things in life better but <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's kind of its own little thing but i mean to that i guess to cam's earlier point like you know the way like we work really well together he sees it from you know a shot from kind of the same way i see it you know he's a really great skier um and i'd say we have a similar eye for things and so you know when uh when you're a team and you're setting up a shot like those things just become a lot easier and more natural. Um, and so that's super helpful, you know, in that regard. But yeah, I, I think we kind of see the world a similar way. And, you know, from the um, story to just setting up shots, like it was all pretty, I don't want to say easy, but, you know, it's work, hard work, but, but it comes naturally. So given everything that we've talked about here so far, and if we were to say, hey, you know, Let's make a film that is just celebrating a particular chairlift at a small, maybe not the most celebrated ski area in the world. In terms of picking a tone for the film, I could see this going a whole lot of ways in theory, right? At the beginning. And man, this, I hate using the word vibe, but I'm going to use it here for lack of a better term. But the vibe and the tone of this film is so rich and deliberate. I'd love to hear you guys talk about why you chose to steer it in the direction you did because that it's not the only way this could have gone, right? It could have been a far more, let's say, upbeat, clearly celebratory vibe and that's not what you went with. And I'm I'm not this is not a complaint. It's a it's supposed to be a compliment and we'll get there, but it's it's really powerful and arresting and Tell us a bit about that. Well, I thought for me, it was, you know, you've got all these sort of natural elements and we had natural limitations too. Um, we tried actually to film this the year prior. And the thing you have to know about Nordic Valley is the elevation's pretty low. And so we're subject to rain um, during storm cycles. Um, a lot of times we'll get a, a forecast and it won't pan out. And so we tried filming it the year prior and um, we went out for like one evening and then it started raining on us and then it never snowed at night again the entire season. So I'm giving you a little bit more backstory to, to answer your question. Um, and, and then the following season in the fall, Marcus moved to Switzerland. So now we had another element of, of limitations. It was okay, how do I get Marcus to come back to fly from the Swiss Alps to ski Nordic Valley, which no one would ever do. <laughs> and so when he came back and we could talk more about that part of the story, but like we had a very limited time frame to execute this. So we had a time limitation. We already had the, the sort of mood that the, the dark and patchwork lighting, shitty lighting provided. You have this aging... You know, at the time, I knew that Apollo, the chairlift, was nearing its end of life. It has gone down and it went down last March at the end of the season and they can't fix it. So Apollo will never run again. So thinking about paying tribute to a dying chairlift um, gave some, some sort of motivation for the tone and the mood to be more of a somber element. And then... Just the, the nature of the 
unchampioned small mom and pop ski areas. And the fact that like these can be kind of lonely places, but that's part of the charm of it. Um, they can be desolate at times. Um, so all of this started, started to sort of provide that framework for what you identified as, um, more of a somber or I can't remember the words you used to describe it, but that less upbeat style. And Marcus had come to me early on with a, a piece of music that he really liked. And it was, it also set a, a tone for us. We didn't end up using that piece of music. Oh, oh um, interesting. But, it, but then in finding the new music, that was sort of the, uh, using that as a template of like what else could sort of maintain that um, sentiment that the other piece of music was providing. So... I, I was going to say to me, like, you know, you came with the idea, obviously. And then I just heard a song and to me, it, like, it really just hit. And when we were skiing, I had it playing in my pocket or in my earbuds, like on loop. And it like really set that mood to me. Um, it all, a lot of it came from that song for me. It, I don't know in the way that I would like ski you know the two there are two tracks in the short film and it's pretty hard to actually now imagine some other two tracks there in its place like it is a powerful combination i think those tracks the 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 skiing the the cinematography i wanted to ask you a bit about that the 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 band is the proper way um, who I didn't know. And, you know, I, as we are talking about moods, if I had to think, or, or the song I did think of that I kept in watching the film, listening to, uh, the tracks, I kept thinking about Bob Dylan's visions of Joanna, the acoustic version of that song off of like the, what is that? The 1966 recorded concert from, uh, Royal Albert Hall. And it is just the most haunting. It's my favorite version of that Dylan song. And it is so haunting and beautiful and sorrowful. That that song is what I kind of was brought into, into this world of yours. Um, and I was like, I am unfamiliar, was unfamiliar with the proper way before the film. And um, I'm happy to now know, know of these folks. Yeah, the proper way is actually a local Ogden band, and I know um, the band personally. The main reason we didn't use the original piece is it was way too expensive to license, and so it was out of our budget. We tried pretty hard to secure it, but the artists had two or three different agencies um, and had recently signed with Sony or something in Europe, and so I was dealing with trying to license through a, a British and a maybe French or Italian agency. And it was just like, it was such a process of just, just even trying to like engage in the conversation around licensing this music. And then of course it's like, you know, what do you, how are you using it? And, you know, we were like, Oh, I want to put it into film festivals. And you say that. And all of a sudden the, you know, mm -hmm. these people who have no idea what we're doing, cause they're not, part of this world, they think, oh, you're going to submit this to, you know, Sundance Film Festival or something, and the price just goes up and up and up and up. So that was like a, a limitation. So I started searching for new music and <laughs> I didn't think of the proper way immediately and, and started looking for other like local bands because I knew I could just reach out to people and, and then finally reached out to them saying, hey, would you be interested? And they were over the moon with just the the idea of being a part of something like this and um we're very gracious in in providing the music for us to use um and the original piece of music was a female voice um and so i want i was looking for music that would sort of retain that um and uh this just worked out great and then the, obviously the two pe the two pieces of music it was like well we want we wanted this bar scene to sort of have some life and sort of uh, walk in and have this sort of kind of Bob Dylan-esque, like, 
you know, jukebox style music playing in the background as Marcus walks into the bar. And and the funny thing is that was all never a part of the original idea because that bar didn't exist the year that the first year we tried filming. Uh, that, that bar was only established the year afterwards. And then ironically now because of a, a kitchen fire, that whole lodge has burned down. <laughs> ironically. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, one, it's cool to hear you say you couldn't imagine the the film with a different song. Like, when you have a song in mind and you, you know, you're going out and skiing and, and, and basically making this film to, like, fit around a song, it's hard to then take that song, you know, and replace it. So, like, that was always, it's that's always hard for me. So it's cool to hear you say it, you know, the other way. It's hard for you to imagine. But I do love the song. And I love the way it turned out. But yeah, ironically, uh, what, like two weeks or a week after we put the film out, that lodge burnt down and the song kind of like speaks directly to that. <laughs> I, I was literally, yes, I, I was waiting for the police to show up at my house to, qu- to question me about arson. <laughs> right. You're like, well, we needed to burn it down for yeah, the film. Exactly. To really work. I mean, that it's such an incredible part of the story that, we made this film to pay tribute to, in in some ways, the, the ski lift itself. And that's why it's named Apollo. That's the name of the ski lift. And that broke down and will never run again. And then burn the whole thing down is the title of the main song. And the, the lodge got burnt down. I mean, it's just like, it's a wild set of circumstances. I, there, there's something to be said here about, I don't know, there's got to be a greater life point about, you know, thinking specifically about there was an initial song in mind and you attempted best efforts, tried hard to get that. It didn't work, but there were other people maybe closer to the community who were excited, sort of saw the vision, participated, and the, the tracks are incredible. I mean it. Like, I, I think it is fantastic. and. I think there is an interesting lesson here about whether we want to go even sort of broad to sort of the outdoor community or or more narrow to the ski snow community. It is still a community. It is still a niche. And some people are going to support that. Some people are going to understand that. And some won't. And there still is some like we are still living in a in a world where, you know, we need to find kind of our people and the people that get it and want to participate and celebrate and support and the rest. And I, I think that um, that's just a good thing to maybe always keep in mind, right? And I think that in a way sort of elevates this story for me because we all need help to do whatever it is we're going to do. Who are the people that actually show up and support, you know? and um. I don't know. That's my hopefully more than half-baked thought, but that that feels pretty real, right? Who who actually is going to show up, share in the vision, support it and the and lend themselves to it? Um good reminder maybe. Yeah, and that that said, I think Nordic Valley was on board. I don't know, Cam talked to them, um, you know, and then planned with them the whole thing, but they stayed open for us till 1 a.m. uh, you know, a couple nights, so um, you know, their support and making it happen was huge too. Yeah. That's the the beauty of working outside of the industry in a way, right? Like these, these people are running a ski resort and maybe ambitiously they want to be running a, a stellar business model that competes with, you know, other ski resorts, but it, at its core, it's a, it's a community ski resort. And so, you know, there's a lot less red tape and formalities and you know questions that come with an idea like this it's like hey we want to do this we think it's going to be really cool and they're like yeah that sounds awesome what do you need you know whereas like i i don't think we i don't remember signing waivers or you know getting release forms <laughs> or you know <laughs> and, and and another part of that was like you know they they open this thing up and they let us do this without a whole lot of oversight. Um, 
And I don't know how, how you remember this, Marcus, but like for me, one of the cool memories of the project was like, here we are, we're trying to tell this story and capture this feeling of, you know, Marcus, our unknown skier, you know, representing any skier, uh, having this dreamlike moment of skiing on a opened chairlift just for him. Meanwhile, while we're busting our asses trying to film this thing, the lifties who are there keeping the uh, lift going for us, they're lapping it. And they're like, they were being super respectful and like not trying to get in our shots, but we could hear them like off in the distance hooting and hollering in the woods because they were having the time of their life living the exact experience we were trying to craft. And they had like called their buddies, right? And like, it was, they were like, yo, we're staying open till one. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, it was like, it, it just brought me back to a time when skiing was a bit less of an industry and more of a pastime. Let's talk a little more about night skiing. Do we know where we are in the world with night skiing? Is more of this happening? Is less of this happening? I don't actually know the situation, like say broadly across Europe, Marcus, but where are we with night skiing? It does feel like this should be more of a thing, not less of a thing. Yeah, I don't know. In Europe, night skiing, I don't believe to be a thing, but you're right. Um, there should be more of it. It's just like one of the most fun ways you can experience skiing, I think. You know, I don't, I don't know. There's just something about it. Like, end of the day, you know, it's like the world kind of closes in around you and it's just you're even more present, right? Because you can't see see what's out there. You're just it's all right in front of you. and um you know, you find a good lap and you keep lapping it over and over and over. There's, yeah, it's cool. Like everything looks a little different. Um, you know, it's just a totally different way to experience maybe the things that, you know, the ordinary runs that you get to experience during the day. So the cigarettes taste better. So <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember growing up, <laughs> you know, like. We were just little punk kids after school going to the little ski resort. And like, it was this moment of absolute freedom away from, you know, the, the parental advisory of your day. And you just smoke cigarettes with your friends on the chairlift at age 15, 16 and lap the, 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 the mogul run, you know, like. The one that's what we did, anyways. That's all I remember doing as a kid is like there's this one supercharged rope toe that they made snow to build the bumps, which were just icy mogul fields. And the, the man made snow would cake the uh, rope toe that was like running a million miles an hour. And you would just lap this thing, but you'd have to make sure you took all of your speed into the base and then make a hard right footer to take your speed into the rope toe. Cause if you tried to just grab the thing, you would shred your gloves. And like, this is, this is my memory as a kid is like riding chairlifts and taking rope toes and skiing with my buddies and just like wreaking havoc. You know, this was like before the time of, at train parks too. So we would just like find little hits next to ski lift poles and you were just like making the most of this little hill. I don't know. I definitely think there should be more of it. Where where was this camp? At Bittersweet. Well, bittersweet. Yeah. In Michigan. Bittersweet. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was like the greatest thing in the world. Like to go after school and ski and they were open till ten, I think. So we'd ski till ten o'clock at night. Like, it's awesome. And Nordic Valley, you know, good on them. They have maintained this night skiing element. And like, you know, you can see it. They're bussing in kids after school. You know, the local, you know, middle schools are showing up. And it's just, yeah, it's like childlike in its nature where kids are running around skiing. And, and it's great to be a part of that. You know, it's just different than day skiing at a formal big resort and i think there's probably a lot of night skiing still in the midwest and there's it, it seems to be very much 
um, specific to smaller ski resorts though, like community driven ski resorts. And that's where that skiing feels more like a pastime than a sport or a business because it's a, it becomes sort of like your community center. It's like where people go at the end of the day. Um, it's where you drop your kids off. Um, so you can go get dinner ready or whatever as parents get, you know, and they run around and do whatever and have their safe, you know, troubled fun. And that's all we were trying to do. It's like, oh, sweet. I mean, I don't know about you. I felt like a kid. I was like, they're going to leave this thing spinning for us till 1 a.m. Like, we could do whatever we want right now. Let's jump off the chairlift. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> no, that's, I think that's just it. It, it. Nice skiing turns you into a kid again, you know, and like, you just the simple things that, you know, like skiing through the woods during the day that you may be like, oh man, this kind of sucks, like becomes super fun at night, you know, and, and a bit of a, an adventure. You find a couple like little rollers and everything's just, just, yeah, it turns you into a little kid. It's, uh, yeah, being a 10 year old kid skiing through the woods. I love it. That's great. Night skiing turns you into a kid. That's, that's well said. Let me ask you guys about the role of short films in 2024. You know, so this film is five minutes and 43 seconds long, longer than, you know, your average social media clip, much shorter than a big feature length film. You guys have been filming, both of you, for a good number of years. Where are we at in the landscape? Is this is it harder to make a film like this these days? Do you think it per, it works particularly well, a shorter film like this, kind of just given the whole landscape of video out there? Where are we at? I mean, I guess if the question is, uh, is it harder based on a measurement of success? I mean, absolutely, because it's a crowded, crowded space. It's certainly easier to make films um, than it's ever been. Um, I, I guess for me, I try to have the audience at the bottom of the list in mind uh, when I go out to make anything. Um, you know, I'm really trying to satisfy what I want first and what Marcus wants if we're working together. Like, cause I think if no matter what, if we end up, uh, making something that we're psyched on, like to me, that's like the benchmark of success. One, because I know we're, we're extremely self-critical. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll hold a higher standard probably of what we put out than anything, but like trying to forecast whether or not something's going to be successful and try to find some like code to crack. I, that seems like an impossible task. So I don't know. Like, will this video have, a, I mean, I've tried to watch like if it's been successful by some measure. And all I can say is the response that I've received personally has been overwhelming and it's been like genuine. Um, and so the people who've watched it have absolutely loved it. And, you know, it's sort of uh, cliche to say like, oh man, if, 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 if you change one person, like it, it's a success. But in some ways it's kind of like, yeah, you know, like we put effort into this and a small group of people have really, by, by, by like large measure, a small group of people have really enjoyed it. Like that's awesome. Like that's success, I guess. So it's it's hard to capture people's attention and and keep it you know and and in some ways like it's not you know you don't want to totally disregard that like we had this intro in the bar scene um where we i mean we worked on shortening that as much as we could you know because it's like takes what i don't know a minute a couple minutes mm -hmm. to get into to get into the skiing you know and like online when you're just scrolling like you know you you can just no, oh, no, you know, you just score right past that. So I, I'd say there's a somewhat of a balance, right? Like that was given some thought, like, okay, you got to get to the action at some point here, but you want to take your time and tell the story. It feels good to put something out like that, like, and not really worry about 
what the views are going to be. I think also like there on my end, there's an effort to sort of make things that are evergreen. And so being aware of trends is incredibly helpful for that. So I'm, I think we're both very aware of what's trending and what is, um, what might be more successful, but that's always a good thing to know because then you can make a choice, a conscious choice to steer clear of that or to lean into that. Um, and this was a situation where we were not trying to lean into any sort of trends, I think. And we were trying to make something that felt like in 10 years, yeah. you know, like you could yeah. watch this and ideally it would still hold this, hold weight. Yeah. I, Jordan Manley is somebody that I think about a lot and like, the skiers journey series that he did. Um, and I go back and watch those sometimes and they're now over 10 years old, I think. And they still like are beautiful pieces. They're sentimental, which is like, I'm a very sentimental person. So I try to build that into the things that I create. Um, and they just, they still stand on their own. They're not trendy or they're not like, they're not of the time, they're of time, you know? And I think that was the effort here. I love that. And that very much resonate, resonates, I think, um, yeah, timeless, um, you know, and if someone were to watch Apollo, let's say a hundred years from now, and we have a vastly different world, this serves as a beautiful, I think, document of a specific point in time maybe they'll be saying hey a hundred years ago they used to do this thing called night skiing <laughs> people are like what is that it's like well look at this right i hope we're not saying that but we might um and i, I that so that really resonates i i think too they're part of the power of the film is the skiing itself and you know one of the amazing things about social media is each of us could grab our phone and in 20 seconds see like the most incredible athletic clip of somebody on skis or a snowboard. That is not what you were portraying in this film. There is a relatability. You already said, Cam, that Marcus was kind of the anonymous skier or the everyday skier in this film. This is kind of, you know, Let's let's keep it real. This is a very high level of everyday skiing. It is very well done. But we've all seen Marcus do sort of quote unquote more impressive things on screen. But I think the power of the relatability of this and serving as that kind of reminder, sucking you into it. It's like I I can do something like that. I could go to Nordic Valley or my local ski area and i could kind of make some turns sort of like that you know apologies marcus you're like the platonic ideal the platonic ideal of it but and i think there is power in that and you know we do so frequently now see so many incredible athletic feats because there are so many incredible skiers and snowboarders out there doing amazing things that deserve to be seen but just Dialing it back a notch to like, oh, right. I, I can't even fathom that thing that Candide just did, but I can watch this and think that resonates to me. When I go out and ski, it, it, it's like I'm, I can do that. And I, I love that relatability aspect of this. I, I mean, I think you're spot on. Um, you know, I think skiing is, is more than just like uh something you you know you do um you know it's something that i don't know if you're a if people experience experience it in many different ways but you know for for me like and watching movies nowadays like yeah you're right you watch you can kind of watch the same thing over and over and over again like how many doubles of somebody you know a, a double flip or whatever is impressive but like how many are we going to see? It doesn't do anything for me at this point. You're like numb to it. You know, like to me, it's more important to have something to say. And yeah, I, I think, you know, I'd love to see more of that in our ski films, um, you know, or even little social media clips or whatever. But 
um, yeah, like have something to say and go say it. Like, you know, and I think we did that even without saying a word. There's also like beauty in the mundane and like trying to, you know, we, Marcus and I talk about these things all the time, long before this, this film, um, you know, why are we always cutting out tracks? Like there are always tracks when you're skiing, like, you know, there's this effort to sort of in, in creating content around skiing to kind of broadcast it as something that it's not, um, that like, I think has perpetrated this false idea of what skiing is of like, Oh yeah, no, skiing is only worth doing on a pow day. And Oh man, once there's tracks, it's like tracked out and it's like, you know, that that's not skiing as a pastime. That's not skiing as a part of a, a cultural force. Um, and so really trying to find opportunities and Marcus has done this plenty through return of the turn. Um, and highlighting the beauty of skiing in, regardless of the conditions. And this was another, I mean, we obviously wanted the, the, the key for us in creating this film is we wanted it to be snowing at night because that gave this depth and texture to the, the, the movie that wouldn't exist without it snowing, but having it be some sort of like Japanese pow night where it was like blower overhead, like that was never the goal. Um, and we got extremely fortunate. It was raining the the afternoon that we uh, filmed, and we thought we were completely hosed. Um, and we got lucky, but we would have we were going to be forced to make something regardless. I mean, Marcus flew <laughs> from Switzerland to Salt Lake to drive up to Nordic Valley to film this thing, and we had would we have forty eight hours to basically knock this out? I think it was two nights. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, like you said, we started, I don't even know how many years ago now, three years ago and in January, you know, and we're like, okay, well, I'll come up to Nordic Valley and, you know, every time it snows at night, whatever, we'll bang this thing out. And it didn't snow again. And then I moved here. And so we were just like watching the forecast and then. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I think we got a good shot here this weekend. I flew out for, yeah, maybe three days. Yeah. Um, and it was, a, it was like pretty borderline warm. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, it, we may have shot a soaking in the rain segment, but yeah. Um, yeah. It could have easily happened, but sometimes you just got to go for it. Yeah. You know? Sometimes you got no choice. <laughs> no, we, we took, we took our best shot. <laughs> we took our best shot. <laughs> yeah. There were tensions were high there for a minute that this was going to be an absolute bust and waste of, you know, resources. And, you know, you're calling in favors, you know, you're on the phone with the marketing guy or gal at Nordic Valley trying to get them to like leave the lift open. And we're just like, Ugh. I mean, we, we were going to shoot one night and it what didn't snow at all. So that's when we shot the bar scene. Cause we, uh-huh. we were just like, oh, let's, we got to make, we got to be productive. Let's chip away at something. And so we, we signed up, we, we did that the first night and then the next day I woke up and it was raining. And then we went out for a ski tour to kind of like assess conditions and it just rained on us. And we're just like, oh my <laughs> God, like this is a bust. Like, and then it turned to, started to change to snow and then, and then it just nuked. It was just, it was perfect. It was perfect. And and we got lucky because last winter was one of our historically best winters in history. So, um, you know, sometimes the stars align. I'd also like to point out that, you know, making ski films is difficult and it takes a team of team of people, you know, usually a, a shooter, second shooter, um, you know, a, a guy carrying tripod. Um, you know, and a couple skiers, like a, a week minimum to make a, a segment, you know, um, in a big film. Yeah. And we had a, a light ordinance, right? In the valley. So they couldn't stay. They like really pushed that for us, which was super nice, but like they couldn't keep the lights on super late. So like we really busted this thing out quick. <clears throat> I remember being super stressed because the idea was there. And you're like, yeah, this, this would be easy. And then you get out there. And the fact that it was, it was, 
in some ways very easy because it was literally ski from the house, get on the lift and start shooting. And, but then the reality set in of like, oh, well, we're skiing the same run over and over and over and over again, which was built into the storyline. But then it's like, well, how do we shoot this in a way that doesn't feel like we're shooting it over and over? And like, how do we create different shots that that don't feel repetitive and that don't feel like you're or or do feel somewhat repetitive, but like it's broken up in a way. And, you know, that definitely came in some form of the power of the edit, too. And, you know, I should say big thanks to Dylan Tataro, who uh, was a part of the edit and usually he would have been there to help film. He would have been a second shooter on this. He was planned to be, but this happened. So last minute he was occupied. So uh, it just ended up being Marcus and I, but that was like one of those, those, those factors that you don't think about. And then you're like, Oh, after like four shots, I was like, Oh God, I have to think about how to, how do, how do we make this more interesting? And if you miss a shot or, you know, you miss a sh- if you're out of focus or your exposure's wrong, um, or I don't hit the spot, which never, you know, happens. Never. But, uh, yeah. you know, then it's like, okay, well, now I'm filming this old double. So I got to ski down, hop on this lift. It's going to take 10 minutes to get to the top of this thing. And, you know, so each, it's like, you know, pretty, uh, yeah, it's it's rough. Like if you miss something, you know, it's it takes fifteen minutes to get one shot that lasts three or four seconds at at best. <clears throat> yeah, you start to feel like the lions going for it on fourth down. Brutal, yeah. brutal, <laughs> brutal. Oh. Wow, brutal. Just like, oh man, missed that one. Oh no, <laughs> I'm a fan yeah. of the call. I like it. I go for it. Yeah. Wait a minute. Are do we have two football fans here? We we have a we have a thing like Cody Cody and I are constantly bringing up NFL talk on our monthly reviewing the news conversations and I have this like not so secret mission to identify all the skiers and snowboarders out there who actually care about the NFL and we're going to band together and just force this upon the rest of the snow sports world which they're not always thrilled about we've learned but we don't care we're you know we believe in the cause so you've derailed us now but are where where are we at cam are you a lions fan you're from michigan yeah yeah unfortunately today i am (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah marcus marcus where are you on this um being from salt lake i think it goes one of two ways you're either at denver uh, fan or you hate Denver sports hate and, them. and yeah. I, I hate Denver sports. Um, all of them. So no, I'm, I'm not, I can't say I'm a huge NFL guy. I like sports and, um, you know, I like, yeah, I like sports and I like big time players and I like going for it on fourth down. I wasn't, I'm not a big enough sports fan to stay up till 1230 here to watch that game. I did watch the Chiefs game, uh, at nine. I stayed up till midnight to finish that, but, but yeah, I, I'm a, I like Mahomes. Yeah. Big, Hard not to like. big T Swift guy. Big huge T Swift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You got it all. You got it all. <laughs> well, Cam, as a, as a Bears fan, you know, I felt, I felt a lot. I think all Chicago Bears fans can very much empathize with, with Lions fans right now. We we were rooting for you. Yeah, thanks. We were rooting for you. Was... We wanted to see one of us, you know, get it done, but that 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 second half meltdown felt a little bit like yeah, we we were flying too close to the sun. <laughs> yeah. We knew something was going to go awry and and it turns out it did. Yeah, alas. you could you felt those those historical feelings creeping in. You're like, I just don't have a great feeling about this. So, I feel like that that's gotta be like some collective mindset. Like, cause that, the, uh, you know, is going around, you know, multiplied what millions of times through, you know, mm-hmm. people and, and everybody feels that like I, I, my, my dad's from uh, New York and he's a giants fan. And, you know, every time they were up and we were watching the game, he said, no, no, watch this. Just watch. They're going to find a way to lose this one. <laughs> and they would. And they would. And I, if, if there's enough people thinking that, <laughs> you know, it, 
Yeah. <laughs> the power of collective need, thinking. Yeah. Yeah. We need Marcus to go give, yeah, positive thinking uh, seminars to these millions of fans, you know, with their, you know, respective teams. He could really shift stuff up for all of it's us. Kind, we could probably all use it. It's kind of like a Return of the Turn episode where you want to shoot POW. We know right. it's not going to happen. We all know it's. We all know it's not going to happen. Right? Uh, what wow. forecast looks good? Uh, watch mm. it won't. There won't be. <laughs> <laughs> we know better. Yeah. Right. Um, gentlemen, thank you for this film, and thanks for talking to us about it today. Um, it is beautiful. I am excited for more people to see it, and um, yeah. We need to do this again. You know, we're we're having a whole lot of fun on this Blister Cinematic podcast, kind of bouncing from a brand new film and then, you know, going back and revisiting films that were made years ago. And I, I might recruit you into this. You know, we'll have a conversation about, I'll have you guys think about a film or two that you would love to revisit or maybe a film or two that was super influential on you. and um. You know, we'll uh, we'll maybe go back in time next time. Sweet, that sounds that sounds super fun. Cam and Marcus, thanks to both of you, and hope to to see you soon and uh, and talk to you soon as well. Awesome, thanks, Jonathan. Cool, thanks. Well, that's it for this edition of Blister Cinematic. I want to say thanks to Cam and Marcus for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these Blister Cinematic Conversations, then we would very much appreciate it if you would take just a minute to leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, and that will let us keep this whole thing going and growing. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we will catch you tomorrow over on our Crafted podcast. See you there.